Welcome to the More Attention, Less Deficit podcast. This episode is Proposed Changes to the Diagnostic Criteria. Actually very important. The proposed changes to the official diagnostic criteria have been made public. It's interesting and really important, and we'll talk about why, as well as hit some of the highlights. The book, More Attention, Less Deficit, Success Strategies for Adults with ADHD, is available at addwarehouse.com and pretty much everywhere else, including on the Kindle. But if you enter coupon code 19380, my zip code, at addwarehouse.com, you'll save 25%. I'm psychologist Dr. Ari Tuckman, author of More Attention, Less Deficit, and Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD a practical, easy-to-use guide for clinicians. For more information about either book, archives of this podcast, links to past presentations, handouts, and information about upcoming teleclasses and presentations, check out adultadhdbook.com. Every once in a while, the American Psychiatric Association updates the official diagnostic manual, or the DSM as it's called, As much as this is all pretty nerdy stuff, it has some far-reaching implications. These are the official guidelines that determines what it takes to qualify for each diagnosis, from ADHD to anxiety to schizophrenia and hundreds more. Some of it could affect you as an individual as well as the field as a whole. For individuals, if they change the criteria that are required for a diagnosis of ADHD, You may no longer meet those criteria, which means that, officially speaking, you no longer have ADHD and therefore won't get insurance reimbursement for your treatment. You may be exactly the same, but if the manual changes, your clinicians are supposed to use the new criteria, and that may put you in a bad spot. I mean, hopefully not, but it might. So if the folks creating the manual do a crummy job of it, lots of adults with ADHD may be left out in the cold. I don't think that that'll actually happen in any kind of dramatic way, but we still want the best possible manual we can get. In the bigger picture, this also affects researchers who need to choose participants for their studies based on these criteria, so it affects also the future advances in the field. Now, there's always some controversy that surrounds each edition of the manual. The problem is that everyone has their own opinion about the changes to be made. This shouldn't be surprising. I mean, think about it. Is there anything that everyone agrees on? There's still some people out there who think the earth is flat. So, you know, there's never going to be full agreement on something as complicated as ADHD. Nonetheless, some opinions are better informed by research than others. So hopefully they will be given more weight. One good change this time around, though, is that the new manual had very tight restrictions about how much drug company involvement each of these reviewers could have, so that will hopefully limit that criticism. So the way it works is that a group of reviewers is assembled for each diagnosis. So anxiety, depression, panic attacks, whatever. These work groups then create a number of proposed changes which they make public for comment. Then they assemble it all and make a final decision, which is actually kind of a good way of doing things. I'll hit some of the highlights here in this podcast, but you can get all the nitty-gritty details at dsm5.org. So that's the number five. 
then clicking on uh, disorder is usually first diagnosed with in infancy, childhood, or adolescence, which will then take you to ADHD amongst others. However, I'll also put the link directly to the ADHD changes under the cool events page at adultadhdbook.com. So let's hit some of the highlights. Um, the first which of the five that I'm going to talk about here, which I think is actually really interesting, is that it's been proposed to separate out ADHD from ADD, that they're going to make, technically speaking, if we're going officially here, ADD was replaced about 20 years ago in a prior version of the DSM by ADHD. Now, there are three types, ADHD primarily inattentive type. These are the folks who are often referred to as ADD because they don't have any of the hyperactivity. There's also a second type of ADHD, which is the primarily hyperactive and impulsive type, which really is just little kids who haven't yet grown up to show how inattentive they are. And then the third type is the combined type. So these are folks who have trouble with inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. So the proposal is to just split them out. There's going to be the ADHD type, which is really the combined type, and then there's going to be ADD, and that these are going to be separate diagnoses. Given the fact that lots and lots of people still use ADD anyway, it's actually not a bad idea to split them out. It's just kind of less confusing that way. Second important change that's been proposed, now granted these are all proposals, nothing set in stone yet, but second proposed change is that under the criteria that are required, you know, you need six out of nine of the criteria to meet a diagnosis of ADHD for the hyperactive and the impulsive symptoms, the way it is in the old DSM is, or the current DSM, there are six for hyperactivity and only three for impulsivity. So what they've done is they've added four more symptoms for impulsivity to kind of balance that out. Now that's important for a couple of reasons. One of them is, as an adult, it's the impulsivity that gets you into a lot more trouble. So, um, you know, your boss is going at you and you impulsively tell him or her something that is probably accurate, but probably also best not shared, or at least not at that moment in that way, or impulsively buying something, impulsively doing something. You know, it's the impulsivity that kind of gets you into hot water. So that's one, one reason why it's good to add more of the impulsivity criteria for the diagnosis, because it'll capture more of that, which makes it more diagnostically accurate. But the second reason is, if you had been hyperactive as a kid, and not everyone with ADHD was, but if you are a hyper kid, you're probably a lot less hyper as an adult. So if we're looking for hyperactivity in adults, we're gonna, it's not there. So a lot of the adults with ADHD are not gonna qualify for the diagnosis because they're not hyperactive enough. So hopefully that is a change that they will adopt. Third proposed change is, Technically speaking, in order to qualify for ADHD, for a diagnosis of ADHD, you have to have displayed symptoms of ADHD and some impairment. In other words, you have to have suffered from it since the age of seven. Now, the problem, there's a couple of problems. One of them is there's nothing magic about age seven. Someone just made that number up. They just picked that number out of a hat. The other problem is that, you know, at age seven, six, five, I don't know, some of the ADHD symptoms are just not as obvious because we don't expect as much out of kids at that age. So the proposal is to move the symptom onset age from age 7 up to age 12, which 
I think is a you know great idea, and it means that more folks who truly do have ADHD will be captured in that group of saying, yes, indeed, they do have ADHD because their symptoms are more obvious at age 10 than they are at age 6. The fourth proposed change, this one I'm actually not too psyched about, um, fourth proposed change is given the fact that adults sort of grow out of the criteria compared to kids, or another way of putting this is the old criteria, the current criteria, are much better at describing ADHD in kids than in adults. So a lot of adults with ADHD, they just don't, they don't fit the criteria as well. So the proposal is, instead of saying that you need six out of nine criteria as a kid, you only need like three out of nine criteria for an adult. Personally, I think that's kind of a weak solution. Um, that what it does is by b watering it down, it means a lot of people who don't have ADHD, but instead of anxiety or depression or other stuff, are going to be mistakenly diagnosed as having ADHD. So I think that's a problem. Better alternative is to create a separate list of criteria for ADHD in adults. In other words, for adults, this is what it looks like. For kids, this is what it looks like, which frankly is a much better way of doing it. It means more work that the clinicians out there need to remember two sets of criteria, not just one. But, you know, I don't know an easy way around it because ADHD is not the same in kids and adults, so I don't think the criteria should be the same. Fifth change, or proposed change, which I think is a really good one, is that rather than just stating the criteria, so for example, um, you know, that somebody is forgetful, let's say, they offer a series of examples. So different ways that someone might be forgetful, different circumstances, situations that they might be forgetful. And this is important because it makes it easier for different clinicians out there to use the same standards from that, you know, in other words, if someone only thinks you need to be a little bit forgetful, they're going to diagnose a lot of ADHD, whereas if someone thinks you need to be really super forgetful, they're going to diagnose ADHD a lot less often. So as a result, more examples out there are in the criteria help all the various clinicians come to the, it makes them more likely to come to the same diagnosis, which I think is really important. So, you know, let's see what the reviewers ultimately decide. As of this moment, the DSM-5 is due to be printed in, in 2013. So, like, you know, this is uh, no, no rush on this. It's going to be a while. So we'll see. Hopefully it's better. The DSM-4, it's better than what came before, but it's still not great in terms of ADHD in, in adults. So cross your fingers. Hope they do a better job of it this time. Now, I'd like to announce that the Attention Deficit Disorder Association, also known as ADA, will be kicking off its new season of webinars this Wednesday, March 3rd, from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock Eastern Time at night. Um, I'll be doing an open Q&A, so you know, come on out, bring your questions, or just listen to the questions other people are asking. ADA is going to have a different presenter every Wednesday night covering a wide range of topics. You can find out more at add.org. Now, although the Q&As are open to everyone, you need to be a member of ADA in order to listen to the rest of the webinars. However, it's totally worth it because not only do you get, I don't know, 30 to 35 or 40 webinars we're doing in 2010, you also get access to the recordings of this season's 
webinars. So if you're not there at the moment, you can always download it the next day, as well as, you know, tons of recordings of past presentations. So definitely worth checking out. Until next time, thanks for lending me your attention.